0: Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode seventy-seven: The Cosmology of Dungeons and Dragons. Usually, on an episode of this show, we break down games, going through their history and mechanisms, or we cover the history of game companies or creators. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different and detail the cosmology of a game, in this case, Dungeons & Dragons. Now, why would we do this? Why does it matter what planes are used in the game or what they even mean? For me, that's the reason to do a show on it. I believe that if we understand all of the various components of a game system, it makes our games that much more interesting and, truth be told, better. It does that because it gives us more insight into parts of the game we might be more inclined to pass over or ignore, and in the long run, we're the ones who lose. Well, us and the gamers we're running our games for. So let's swap out the tour bus this week and go on a magic carpet ride through the various planes that make up the cosmology of the Dungeons & Dragons universe. The cosmology of the planes was originally presented in the July 1977 issue of The Dragon in the article Planes: The Concepts of Spatial, Temporal, and Physical Relationships in D&D. Gary Gygax wrote the article in question, and he noted in it that at the time there were 16 outer planes. When D&D was split into the AD&D books and the D&D boxes, the basic set of D&D had a cosmology of its own, separate from that in AD&D. It should be noted, though, that this cosmology was a bit more open and less regulated than the AD&D version, which makes sense as the D&D rules were meant as more of a primer to AD&D and thus were stripped down a bit more for easier consumption. Speaking of AD&D, the plane saw a further refinement in the publications of both the Player's Handbook in 1978 and Deities and Demigods in 1980. In fact, the appendix of the Player's Handbook had an abstract diagram of the planes, as well as noting the exact same 16 outer planes Gygax had noted in the Dragon Magazine article the previous year. Shannon Applecline noted in his book Designers and Dragons that quote, "throughout the early 1980s, Dragon magazine would continue to detail some of the planes in more depth. However, there was no apparent overarching plan for the planes of D&D other than a few increasingly old drawings." End quote. The multiverse of D&D saw its expansion when D&D Immortal Rules was released as a box set in 1986. The astral plane was given great detail and this was one of the first times gamers were made aware of just how much the astral plane permeates the rest of the multiverse. It was also the first time actual sizes of the various planes was detailed, with sizes ranging from the Atoplane plane at one third of an inch across to the Terra plane at 851 billion light years across. Of course, It was also noted that the sizes of planets and stars varied as well. Apple Klein in his book, along with Curtis D. Carbonell in his book, Dread Trident Tabletop Role Playing Games in the Modern Fanatic noted that the planes and overall cosmology were really codified in two releases, Manual of the Planes in 1987 and Tales of the Outer Planes in 1988. Carbonell noted that Jeff Grubb, who was the project leader and chief designer for both books, detailed the schematization of the plane's requisite five areas, the prime material, the ethereal, the astral, the inner, and the outer planes. The basic structure is still used in 5e, with some changes that provide minor rearrangements and clarifications. Grubb's approach demonstrated a need to codify, while still remaining flexible, that has remained as a primary aim of the latest edition, end quote. Carbonell also noted in his 2019 book that Spelljammer, which was released in 1989, added some cosmology to the D&D world, noting that it, quote, allowed travel between the different settings, end quote which at the time included Dragonlance, Greyhawk, and the Forgotten Realms, as we discussed several weeks back in our Spelljammer episode, which, by the way, is available in the archives. As we also discussed in that episode, some settings, such as Dark Sun and Ravenloft, were essentially closed off to travel in this version of the cosmology. But in 1993, TSR decided to do a series of books about the Outer Planes. According to Zeb Cook, these plans led to the creation of the Planescape setting, which was released in 1993. By the way, Planescape is another interesting and intriguing campaign setting to use for D&D, and we will be focusing on it in a future episode of this podcast. Getting back to the point, the Planescape setting lent itself to be the framework upon which adventurers going across the plains could be set, starting with the city of Sigil, which was the recommended starting city for the setting. Carbonell chimed in, noting that Planescape was, quote, the most complex example of the multiverse created during the varieties of 2E's AD&D settings, end quote. He continued, quote, A more nuanced and sophisticated attempt at harmonization, Planescape provided an alternate way to travel between the planes than Spelljammers' science-fantasy-oriented approach, End quote. Third edition brought its own take on the planes. The Manual of the Planes, released in 2001, detailed both the inner and outer planes. Kevin Culp, writing for DMs Guild, noted that, quote, the authors used an approach that said, here's how it's been done in the past, and here are other ways you can do it, which allowed the book to avoid setting planar mechanics in stone. Instead, it gave DMs a modular approach by presenting options, a flexible strategy that pleased both 1E and Planescape fans. Vast amount of new ideas and new locations were presented, dovetailing nicely with canon from earlier editions." Quote. Fourth Edition made some changes to the planes, shifting the locations of some of them to fit their new world axis cosmology, and added the parallel planes of the Feywild and the Shadowfell to the game. Most of these changes were detailed in the Manual of the Planes, released in 2008. 5th edition has, for the most part, undergone most of these changes, shifting these cosmology back to the great wheel model used previously, though some of the world axis model points were retained, specifically when getting into the inner planes. These details were first laid out in the Player's Handbook and Dungeon Master's Guide, both of which were released in 2014. Now at this point in the program, you're probably feeling heavy from the info dump we've done to this point. If that's the case, you might want to hit pause for a few minutes and clear your head, because we're about to break down the specifics of the various cosmologies, starting with the Great Wheel and World Axis models, then getting into the presentations that don't fit neatly into either one of those. So if it's feeling like a college lecture, I apologize for that, but there's so much information out there to cover, I am left with no other choice. And it leads me to wonder, um, could I submit my reading copy for this show as a thesis for my master's degree in education? Just wondering. Okay, so the Great Wheel has been referenced multiple times thus far in today's show, so we probably need to break this down and take a closer look. The name Great Wheel comes from the fact that it's arranged like a wheel, with the 16 outer planes arranged with the good-aligned, or upper planes, sitting at the top of the wheel, and the evil-aligned, or lower planes, sitting at the bottom. Now, in some versions of this wheel, the Lawful Planes, also known as Planes of Law, are on the left side of the wheel, while the Chaotic Planes, known as the Planes of Chaos, are on the right. And as you might expect, the neutral planes, also known as the planes of conflict, are located between them. In the center of the wheel, you've got the inner and material planes. Oh, and one more plane, the Outlands. It's neutral and has a spire of infinite height in the center of it. If you're playing Planescape, the City of Sigil floats high above the pinnacle of the spire. We mentioned a few minutes ago that the planes started getting AD&D love in 1978 and 1980 with books released in those years. However, it should also be noted that the release of the Planescape setting in 1994 led to many of the Outer Planes getting new names, but 3rd edition combined both the old and the new names as well as promoting the Demiplane of Shadow to the Plane of Shadow. Shortened the prime material plane to the material plane, and then it added the knowledge that each material plane is connected to its own unique ethereal plane. Now I could go on and on about the various ways the cosmology is presented in circles, but my head's already spinning in one, so let's instead get into breaking down the various planes and taking a closer look at those. And again. These are following the Great Wheel presentation, so there will be some differences later on. We'll start with the inner planes. These are made up of elemental matter and force. The elemental planes and the energy planes are contained in the inner planes. And some descriptions of the wheel include the para-elemental, such as magma, ice, and such like that. Also, some descriptions mention quasi-elemental planes, which consist of lightning, dust, and and so on and so forth. When they're mentioned, it's noted that the para-elemental and quasi-elemental planes link the elemental and energy planes to one another. Gene Alloway made his own observations in his May 1994 review of the Planescape campaign setting for White Wolf magazine. He said that the set, quote, gives players a solid sense of the sheer force of nature that drives the inner planes. The inner planes don't have anything against you, they're just hard on everyone, end quote. The French magazine Backstab had two reviewers who reviewed Planescape for their May-June 1998 edition, and they noted that the inner planes were among the places in the Planescape least visited by PCs, and that's pretty much because they don't lend themselves to an extended stay. I mentioned earlier that 4th edition went with the world axes, so that's coming up in a few. But when 5e came out, the great wheel came back, albeit with some aspects of the world axes thrown in. Shannon Applecline wrote an article, An Elementary Look at the Planes, for dnd.wizards.com in April of 2015 and summed it up. Quote, The four elemental planes are back but they remain tightly integrated with the material plane as its creative foundation. The para-elemental planes have also returned for the first time since Planescape, but they have more evocative names. The Plane of Ash is known as the Great Conflagration, the Plane of Ice is the Frostfell, the Plane of Magma is the Fountains of Creation, and the Plane of Ooze is the Swamp of Oblivion. Additionally, the Elemental Chaos is the churning realm within which the Inner planes are held, end quote. In their May 2021 article, Screen Rant Magazine broke it down a bit more simple for fans. They noted that parts of the Inner planes closest to the Material Plane will seem to be the most Recognizable and familiar to adventurers, having humanoid inhabitants and in cities. That being said, the further out adventurers dare to go, quote, Out into the inner planes, things become less familiar. Each plane starts to resemble its purest form, making it harder to travel without powerful magical spells that protect the party from the environment. If a traveler goes far enough, they'll reach the elemental chaos, where the boundaries of the inner plane start to break down, and where some truly alien monsters exist." Moving on, let's break down those material planes I keep referring to. These are worlds that balance between the philosophical forces of the outer planes and the physical forces of the inner planes. In other words, these are the worlds that we typically think of when we're setting our fantasy role-playing games. The prime material plane is where the majority of these normal worlds are, and a great many of them resemble Earth. Now, there was a bit of confusion in 2nd edition about exactly how many prime material planes there are. The DMG said there are several, but a number of other 2e products stated beyond a doubt that there was only one. So if you're playing 2nd edition, you'll have to go with the answer that works best for you. When Spelljammer was released for 2nd edition, it added the phlogiston as a part of the material plane. As we discussed in the Spelljammer episode, the phlogiston is a highly flammable, gaseous medium that contains crystal spheres that hold various prime material solar systems. Those crystals float and are able to be reached by Spelljammer ships. 3rd edition basically held serve on the planes, and 4th edition went their own way. For 5th edition, the Feywild and Shadowfell, which were 4E editions, were kept and introduced into the Great Wheel. Chris Perkins, the creative director of D&D, said in 2015 that the best source of information on those two were the 4th edition sourcebooks that covered those planes. However, 5th edition has explored the Feywild with the 2021 release of The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, which is an adventure module. It builds on the description of the Feywild from the DMG for 5th edition. Moving outwards on the Great Wheel, we come to the Outer Planes. Now, like I mentioned before, they're arranged top to bottom with the good on the top, the evil on the bottom, the lawful to the left, and the chaotic to the right. In many of the drawings I've seen of the Outer Planes, they're drawn out to look more like a square than a circle, but I have seen the circle drawings work as well. What we need to know about these planes is that they are, as I've said, alignment-based planes. They're the homes of gods, dead souls, and raw philosophy and belief. For those keeping score at home, Hades, the Abyss, Limbo, Elysium, and the Nine Hells are all part of the Outer planes, though they're not the only ones. And I could do an entire episode just detailing the Outer planes, but we'll save that for another episode or two maybe a website or YouTube exclusive. So let's move on to the transitive planes. These connect the other planes and typically have little, if any, solid matter or native life. The first of these is the astral plane. It's the plane of thought, memory, and psychic energy. It's the place where gods go when they die or are forgotten, and yes, that does happen. Truth be told, both can happen to gods, so the resting place is the same. Convenient. It's a barren place with only the occasional bit of solid matter. One of the qualities that makes the astral plane unique is that rather than being infinite, it is infinitesimal. In other words, there is no space or time. That being said, if you spend any time at all in the astral plane, both will catch up with you when you leave, so be aware. It should also be noted that the souls of the recently dead on the prime material plane pass through here on their way to the afterlife or the outer planes. One of the things that even the most casual gamer of the planes will know about it are the silver cords of travelers using an astral projection spell. This is a big part of this plane in pretty much every published adventure taking place in the Astral Plane. The cords are essentially lifelines that keep travelers from getting lost and they stretch all the way back to the traveler's port of origin. There is a god isle in the Astral Plane and it's the immense petrified remains of a dead god that float through the plane itself. Githyanki and other creatures are often found mining the various god isles located here. I know I said there was one, but the reality is that there are many, and the exact number depends on the adventure you're running and the version you're running. Yeah, my head's spinning. Let's move on. Next up is the Ethereal Plane. Typically, folks use an ocean to describe what it's like, and and that's true. However, it's been noted that the Ethereal Plane is more a sea of boundless possibility than an ocean of water. There are two parts to the plane. The first is the Border Ethereal. It connects to the Inner and Primordial Planes. The other is the Deep Ethereal Plane. Now this one's a bit different since it's considered to be the incubator to demiplanes and other proto-magical realms. Many of the demiplanes including the one that has Ravenloft in it are found in the Deep Ethereal Plane. It should also be noted that everything that goes into the ethereal plane becomes ethereal. Just keep that in mind should you decide to head there. There's also something called the ether cyclone that connects the ethereal plane to the astral plane. It should be added that in third edition, each material plane is connected to its own unique ethereal plane. Use of the deep ethereal to connect these planes is considered to be an optional rule. Let's move on to look at the plane of shadow. In D&D, it's considered to be a fictional plane of existence under the standard planar cosmology. It is a dimly lit dimension that is both counterminuous to and coexistent with the material plane. The plane of shadow, more than the ethereal plane, overlaps the material plane. What that means is that a planar traveler can use the Plane of Shadows to cover some pretty great distances quickly. Something else cool about the Plane of Shadow is that with the right spell, a spellcaster can use the Plane of Shadow to visit other realities. It's trippy, but it's cool. It should be noted that in fifth edition, the Plane of Shadow has been replaced by the Shadowfell. Also in the first edition of AD&D, the Plane of Shadow was the largest demiplane of the Ethereal Plane. Now, 3rd edition D&D brought an interesting group of optional planes to the table, mirror planes. These are small planes that each connect to a group of mirrors that can be located in other planes throughout the multiverse. Consider them to be a long, winding corridor with the mirrors a particular mirror attaches to appearing to be windows hanging along the walls. Again, it's trippy, but exceptionally cool to describe. Mirror planes work like certain spells in the Plane of Shadow, as they allow for expedient travel between planes due to the mirrors attached. However, be warned, each mirror plane contains a mirror version of any traveler who enters it. The mirror version is of opposite alignment and will attempt to seek out and kill the real character and take its place. The 1995 book, Chronomancer, described the next plane as the Temporal Prime. It's also been called the Plane of Time in multiple publications over the years. As you might imagine, it's a plane where physical travel can and frequently does result in time travel. In 3E, some of the Temporal Plane, which is yet another name for this plane, was incorporated into the Temporal Energy Plane as described in the 3E Manual of the Planes. Dragon Magazine 353 associates it with the demiplane of time that has appeared multiple times and in multiple forms since it was first written about in first edition. Look, I realize this is a huge information dump this week, but we've got a lot more to cover, so let's take a moment to catch our breath before we roll the tour on. Okay, let's move on to demiplanes. Demiplanes are minor planes, most of which are artificial in design. Demigods and exceptionally powerful wizards and scions create them. Occasionally, you'll find one that was created naturally, but these are very rare. In fact, most natural demiplanes are actually fragments of other planes that split off from the main plane for some reason. Most demiplanes look like the material plane, though there are some that appear to be quite alien. These are typically created by non humans, which explains the difference in appearance. One of the most notable Demiplanes is the Demiplane of Dread, which is where the Ravenloft campaign setting is set. Neth, also called the Demiplane that lives, first appeared in A Guide to the Ethereal Plane, which was a Planescape sourcebook for AD&D 2nd edition. It's a sentient living plane of finite size that is extremely curious. There's only one access point to Neth, and it's through a metallic peach-colored pool on the Astral Plane. The only thing natural to this plane is the plane itself, though Neth creates humanoid subunits of itself called Neth's children. They're created for a specific purpose, then reabsorbed once that purpose has been achieved. Now gravity on Neth is the same strength as it is in the material world. That being said, Neth can choose the direction of the gravity well and change it at its whim. Time is also normal on Neth, so if you visit the plane, time moves normally. There are two other planes I need to mention here. The first is the Far Realm. It's a Lovecraftian mix of horror, madness, and strange geometries, and was inspired by Lovecraft stories like Through the Gates of the Silver Key. Bruce Cordell is responsible for its creation, and it first appeared in the second edition adventure module, The Gates of Firestorm Peak, which was released in 1996. In 3rd edition, the Far Realm was incorporated into the realm of Zoriat in the Eberron campaign setting. 4th edition returned the Far Realm to the new cosmology design, which we'll touch on in a few minutes, so I'm not going to expand on that further here. The other plane I wanted to mention is the Plane of Dreams, which is a plane far outside the others and doesn't always get included in standard cosmology. The Plane of Dreams is the plane on which all true dreams take place. So that's it for the Great Wheel Cosmology. As promised, we're going to look at the cosmology created for 4th edition, but abandoned for the Great Wheel for 5th edition, the World Axis. Now, the World Axis is a much more simplified cosmology, containing six major planes, each of which has a corresponding creature origin. The Astral Sea, Elemental Chaos, Feywild, and Shadowfell are detailed immensely in the Manual of the Planes, while the Far Realm and Sigil get some mentions. Elemental Chaos and the Astral Sea got their own sourcebook, the Plane Below in 2009 and the Plane Above in 2010, respectively. For 4th edition, the Ethereal Plane was completely dropped. While laying out the world axis, let's think of it like a hamburger. You've got the Elemental Chaos as the bottom bun and the Astral Sea as the top bun, with the other major planes making up the patty, though it should be noted that it wouldn't be a solid patty since the other planes aren't exactly flat and compact. So let's break down our planes for the world axis since there were some changes in them when they were adapted to this particular cosmology. We'll start with the Astral Sea. This is a plane that basically stayed the same as it was in earlier editions. Astral Dominions were added, though I'm not going to get into details on them here since we're running really long this week. Just note that there are nine of them, and if you want to know more about them, check out the four e-source books. The majority of gods in 4e can be found in the Astral Sea, which is, by the way, spatially infinite, though their dominions are finite. Also, creatures either native to or connected with the Astral Sea generally have the immortal origin. These would include your angels and devils, in case you were (laughs) curious. In the Forgotten Realms, the Astral Sea was formed from the collapse of the outer planes with the Astral Plane after the murder of Mystra, while Eberron equates the Astral Sea with Sibirix, also known as the Dragon Above. The elemental chaos can be connected with the inner planes of earlier editions, though you'd toss the positive and negative energy planes in that connection as well. Some aspects of limbo would also be in here, but not all of them. The Elemental Realms would also be here, but they're also considered to be planes. The Abyss is one of them, in case you're keeping score at home, and I know some of you are. Lolth is the only god located here, and she's on the 66th layer of the Abyss, because of course she is. The Elemental Chaos is infinite, though the Elemental Realms are not. Creatures connected with or native to the Elemental Chaos typically have the Elemental Origin, and these would include your demons. In the Forgotten Realms setting, the Elemental Chaos was formed from the collapse of the Inner planes after Mistress Murder. Eberron equates the Elemental Chaos with Kyber the Dragon below. So we've covered the buns of this burger, now let's check out the fillings. The World is considered the equivalent of the Prime Material Plane or Material Plane from earlier editions. It doesn't have a formal name, thus the handle The World has been attached to it. The Manual of the Planes also offered up names like The Middle World and The First Work, Creatures native to the world typically have the natural origin. Three gods have their homes here, Avandra, Melora, and Torog. Vecna wanders the whole cosmos, and Sehanin has been known to do this as well. In the Forgotten Realms, the name Toril is used, and in Eberron, it's called Eberron, the Dragon Between. Next up is the Feywild. It's one of the two parallel planes in this cosmology, and it's a more extreme and magical reflection of the world. It's got some thematic links to the Positive Energy Plane and Plane of Faerie from earlier editions of the game. Creatures native to or connected with the Feywild generally have the Fey origin, and this would include your Elves and Gnomes. The Manual of the Plains suggests an unspecified connection to Arvindor, and it's believed you can reach the Dominion of Corellon from here as well. There are some important and known locales in the Feywild, and they're known as Fey Demenses. I'm not going to detail those here, but if you're interested, check out the 4th edition sourcebooks. The Feywild got its own 4th edition supplement, 2011's Heroes of the Feywild, which expanded the information on the Feywild and gave some updated mechanics for running in it. 5th edition built on that with 2021's The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, as well as 2021's Domain of Delight, which is an official PDF from Wizards released on the DM's Guild. In the Forgotten Realms, the Feywild is known as the Plain of Faerie and came into alignment with Toril after millennia of drift, while Eberron equates the Feywild with Thalanus, formerly known as the Faerie Court. Last up on our look at the major planes is the Shadowfell. It's considered to be a type of underworld and basically takes the place of the Negative Energy Plane and Plane of Shadow from earlier editions. The Raven Queen makes her home here, and the plane also incorporates the Domains of Dread, which are areas created by the shadows cast by great tragedies in the world. This is where Shadow Dragons and Shadow Mastiffs live, along with Wraiths, Spectres, Dark Weavers, and Shadow Demons. Oh my. The Sedarkai, which are humanoid natives that include most of the standard races of D&D, also live here. This plane is described in great detail in the 2011 box set The Shadowfell, Gloomwrought and Beyond. In the Forgotten Realms, the Shadowfell was formed from what was left of the Plane of Shadow after Mistress Murder, and in Eberron, the Shadowfell is called Dorlurth, the Realm of the Dead. There are demiplanes in this cosmology, with the most prevalent being Sigil, also known as the City of Doors, and it's pretty much the same as it's been in all other editions. Let's move on to anomalous planes. These are planes that don't fit neatly into other categories. The two most prevalent ones are the Realm of Dreams, which you reach from the Astral Sea, and the Far Realm. We're not going to break down the Realm of Dreams here because it's pretty much the same as prior editions. However, we are going to look closer at the Far Realm. The Far Realm is definitely bizarre, and it's made up of thin layers containing strange liquids. Or, that's what those with the most coherent voices say. You see, while some return from the Far Realm with their lives, the same cannot be said about their sanity which means I should probably insert the maniacal laugh here. Or not. Visitors to the Far Realm can only exist in one layer at a time, but natives can exist in many, especially if they're large. Creatures native to or connected with the Far Realm get the aberrant origin. It should also be noted that the Far Realm was once sealed off from reality by the Living Gate, which was a crystalline structure at the top of the Astral Sea. However, it both opened and was destroyed during the Dawn War between the gods and primordials, and its destruction now enables freer transit between the planes that was initially intended. Aboleths, Beholders, and Mindflayers, oh my, originated in the Far Realm. Thanks for that living gate. The Far Realm is sometimes called outside because it seems to exist outside of reality as defined by the world, the fundamental planes, and the parallel planes. In Eberron, the Far Realm is Zoriat, the Realm of Madness. <laughs> okay, we could dive even deeper into all of the realms discussed today. But I don't know about you, but my head is, uh, it, it hurts from all of the information. So let's just cut it to the end of today's tour. Next week, we get back into our more traditional style of deep dive as we check out Alternity, Gamma World, and Hero Quest. In the meanwhile, I'd encourage you to check out our other fine podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. This week, I recap my group's playthrough of the campaign finale, and then we conduct a postmortem of their campaign, discussing what worked, what didn't, and what I'd change if I had to do it again, which will bring season one of the show to a close. Bad GM's campaign build-along is available wherever you get your podcasts or from our website, badgmproductions.net. I also need to make an announcement here. Spotify, which is the default podcast provider from Anchor, which is where we create and archive our role-playing history episodes, has been acting a little funky lately. So our website link is a bit funky and they've been dropping some episodes of the podcast. We're working on securing a new host for the show. And when we do, I'll drop announcements in the podcast feed on the YouTube channel and on the website so that you do not miss an episode. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your royalty-free, license-free music needs. Role-playing history is a production of bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming, forward slash bad GM prod. On Twitter at bad GMP, YouTube, bad GM Productions. You can email us, badgmproductions at gmail.com, and online, as I've mentioned, it's badgmproductions.net. I'd also like to announce we've finally gotten ourselves a Tumblr account. Just search Bad GM Productions and you'll find it we just got it so i don't have a whole lot on it yet sorry all right next week it's alternity gamma world and hero quest but of course that's next week until then i'm wayne davis and your role-playing history